This is Dave, and I'm here with Ethan, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 110 Inch. On this week's episode, we interview conductor, composer, and arranger Sean O'Loughlin, who orchestrated songs for Weird Al's Hollywood Bowl concerts and the Strings Attached Tour. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Hey, Ethan, and welcome to this week's Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. Thanks, Dave. Wow, what a pleasure it was to interview that podcast guy last week, Lex Fridman. Yeah, it was great talking to him about being a research scientist at MIT and working on human-centered artificial intelligence. Wait, why exactly did we interview him again? Well, because artificial intelligence is often shortened as capital A, capital I, which totally looks like Al if you're not paying attention. Wait, wouldn't it have made much more sense for us to have spoken to Lex Friedman? You know, the lifelong Weird Al superfan, podcaster, and author behind Weird Al's deal to publish each of the 77 tour stops on the ridiculously self-indulgent, ill-advised vanity tour as Stitcher Premium episodes instead? Yeah, I suppose you're right. Anyway, isn't it time for This Week in Weird Al-related news? I don't know. I think we should flip a coin and find out. Okay... Uh, no, it's time for an ad about two relatively close to each other incredible vegan restaurants. Hmm, I suppose I could read this one. This week's episode is brought to you in part by vegan burrito restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double-wrapped-in-a-quesadilla Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger in Albany, New York. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito your Burrito Burrito or hop on over to Wizard Burger for mouth-watering, loaded, dare I say, beefy vegan burgers. From Troy to Albany to Uranus, Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger feed the hungry with out-of-this-world, plant-based, real food. Always vegan style. Visit BurritoSquared.com or WizardBurger.com and order ahead. All right, let's flip that coin again. This week in Weird Al related news? No, it landed on Swen Detaler La Drew Ni What? Oh, no, wait, it's This Week in Weird Al related news! The Grammy Award winning podcast theme song writing Jim Kimo West has announced that his brand new CD will be released this coming June 18th. Yes, the new CD is officially called Kahauna? Malahia, Peaceful World, and it's a follow-up to his Grammy-nominated CD, Moku Malahia, Peaceful Island. The new CD features 12 original tracks along with a slew of awesome guest performers. You can pre-order the album right now at a special price over at jimkemowest.com and order it ahead of time and you will get an autographed copy and free shipping. 
Be sure to head to jimkemowest.com for this awesome deal. And Grammy Award-winning podcast theme songwriting Jim Kemo West also announced that live shows are returning. Jim will be headlining the Hawaiian Music Festival in Fullerton, California on July 1st. That's 7 p.m. Hollywood start time for those of you in the area. And speaking of live shows returning, this August is the return of the funny music festival, Thump Fest! Live in person. It will be happening this coming August 20th through August 22nd in Chicago, Illinois. And the guest of honor this year is none other than Dr. Demento. Yes, they will be celebrating Dr. Demento's radio show's 50th anniversary, which was last year. But obviously they couldn't do one in person last year. So he's still the guest of honor. Some musical guests have also been announced as well, and they include... Insane Ian, Nuclear Bubble Rap, Worm Quartet, and a bunch of others. To find out how to attend and for other information, head over to FumpFest.com and be sure to join their mailing list for free funny music downloads. If you can believe it, this past Saturday, June 5th, marked the two-year anniversary of the start of the Strings Attached Tour. The tour ran from June 5th to September 1st, 2019, and featured 67 shows across 64 venues covering the United States and Canada. This was Weird Al's biggest tour to date, and it's the first to feature backup singers in Lisa Popeil, Scotty Haskell, and Monique Donnelly. And it was also the first to feature conductors in the father and son team, Arnie Roth and Eric Roth, who shared most of the conducting duties, along with guest conductor Scott O'Neill filling in at the sold-out show at the Red Rocks Amphitheater. Regular listeners of the podcast will know that Dave and I each attended 18 of those 67 shows, and we cataloged each and every one we went to with special bonus centimeter episodes, which are still available on your favorite podcast app or by heading over to 2000inch.com. Those were a lot of fun to record and a lot of fun to listen back to. So if you have not listened to them in a while, take this opportunity, the two-year anniversary of the Strings Attached Tour, to go back and re-listen to your favorite Strings Attached bonus centimeter episodes. And if you do go through, we would love it if someone actually made a spreadsheet of the colors of the drink and everything else we tracked. That will only make sense to people who've listened to the bonus episodes. (laughs) So if you're curious, now's the time to tune in and listen to those. All 27 bonus centimeter episodes are archived on 2000inch.com. Now, Ethan and I are really itching to do some more Contra reviews. So come on, Al, announce a new tour already. All right, I think it's time to flip the coin again. All right, let me flip and see. All right, it looks like it is time for this week's interview. Dave and I are absolutely thrilled to be welcoming to the program. He is the principal pops conductor of the Victoria Symphony and the principal pops conductor of Symphoria in Syracuse, New York. We're most familiar with his work as orchestrator for Weird Al Yankovic's Hollywood Bowl shows, as well as Strings Attached Tour. We're so excited to welcome Sean O'Loughlin. How's it going, Sean? Hey, Dave, Ethan. I am <laughs> well. Happy to be here. What a, what a pleasant surprise this is. Yeah, we're so excited to <laughs> chat with you. So... I guess, first off, how exactly are you a conductor of a symphony in Canada and in Syracuse, New York, 
and you live in LA. How does that work? Uh, it's it's a bit of a triangular uh, <laughs> thing that goes goes on. But um, no, actually, the the Syracuse uh, position came up first. I uh, grew up in Syracuse, listening and um, studying with many many of the members of the orchestra. And um, there was an opening for their principal pops conductor. And I didn't really even know that I was in the running for something like that until I got a phone call where they invited me to to join the group. And uh, it was the former Syracuse Symphony, but um, went through a, a really uh, heartbreaking bankruptcy. And But the players kind of stuck it through and reformed as a um, co-op orchestra. And we had to change the name to Symphoria. So it's a bit of a made-up name, but it you know it's, it's in the Urban Dictionary as the feeling you get when you listen to a symphony. So, oh, cool! Um, oh, nice. So it, yeah. So it, I mean, for me, it's a it, for me, it's a, a a great way to keep you know one foot in my the town that I grew up in, Syracuse, New York, and my mom and dad, my two sisters, and their families are still there. So um, it's nice. I get to go back maybe five or six times a year, conduct the orchestra, um, visit with family and friends, and um, and also it's it's great from an artistic and professional standpoint, because I'm getting to conduct a great orchestra every time I go there. And and we're constantly, you know, in an evolution of programming and trying to come up with uh, exciting new shows um, and the like. And and hopefully someday I'll I'll be able to bring Al in and uh, and get on the stage there, both in in Syracuse and Victoria. I think that would be a a no brainer. But (laughs) oh, yeah. um, And then and then the the Victoria Symphony. Uh, connection came out of uh, a guest conducting opportunity that I was given there almost 10 years ago. Uh, my manager at the time had a relationship with the executive director and there was an opening in their schedule. And so he suggested me and it turned out that was my first initial uh, like conducting uh, gig where it was me hosting and I created a, a movie music program. And then fast forward about four or five years later, after I had guest conduct, they invited me back several times. I got offered the position uh, for principal pops conductor, and I'm happy to report that uh, both uh, both orchestras have um, have generously extended my contracts, so I'll be there for uh, several more years in each wow. place. And and they're both near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, Victoria is like a second home, and of course Syracuse, I grew up going to, and and uh, my family enjoys uh, traveling to both places to see the shows and all that. So it's. It you know it's it's kind of a good like I know it sounds odd to have two places so far away but it's it's like a way to ground myself and know that I have you know kind of a a, a steady gig to look forward to and mm. to be a part of those communities um, even though I drop in and out for a week at a time but um, both communities have been just so warm and welcoming to not only me but my family and also the the ideas that I have for shows that are not necessarily just, um, you know, playing music for an audience. We, we like to create experiences. And I know uh, Al is all about that as well. Yeah. He creates an experience for his fans when you go to his show. So, and you guys know, you've been to more shows than I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's really interesting about your two sort of locations is those are both stops that Al was on, on his Strings Attached tour. And I was at the Syracuse show and Dave and I were both at the Victoria show back in 2019. Oh yeah, I you know I heard some uh, rumblings about. It. I think some colleagues of mine were hired for the local orchestra members to to be a part of that, and they said they had an absolute blast with it, and they giggled when they saw my name all over the place. <laughs> on the music. So um, they're like, we can't get away from this guy, even when we take another gig. So. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what did you guys think of Victoria? It's 
it's it's pretty special place, isn't it? Yeah, I've this first time I've really been in that uh, area of North America, and it's really very pretty, very beautiful. I definitely would love to go back and spend more time there. It's such an amazing area. Yeah, it's it's odd that it's considered the deep south, right, for Canada. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even even though it's like go to Seattle and make a left, but yeah, um, I I just really enjoyed um, the culture there and the people are are just so warm and welcoming and I've gotten to know a lot of the orchestra members there on a, a as much a friendship level as a colleague level and it's just very rewarding uh, along those lines and as a avid golfer they have some great golf courses up there that I've enjoyed when I'm <laughs> cool. when the weather cooperates so yeah. yeah so it's 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 been a a, a nice uh, connection um, all around and it's so funny you mentioned the the tour stops being uh, at each of those cities I I looked at the dates and I I just giggled I'm like you know you can't make this up that you know I mean they're not exactly Chicago and LA, right? Or Chicago and Vancouver, right. you say Syracuse <laughs> and Victoria. But, um, and you know, and I know some of my colleagues in Syracuse had a blast with the show as well. And, and Ethan, you, you said you grew up there, right? When we were talking before uh, we got on the podcast here? Well, I didn't grow up there. Both or of my, you have family from Yeah, there. both of my parents grew up there. And my, my grandmothers live okay. there. All my cousins, my aunts and uncles, they're all uh, up in Syracuse. So I, I spend a lot of time there. It's a great place to, I, it, it was a great place to grow up and uh, kind of gave me my launch pad to move out here to LA to pursue music and uh, music career with the opportunities here in LA. Ironically, it's like my first professional position is back in Syracuse. Right. It's, I felt like Al Pacino, Al Pacino and the Godfather. Just when I thought they're out, they pulled me back in. But it's, like I said, it's been, it's been a win-win for everyone. For me, you know, staying connected to my, my hometown and then also being able to uh, forward my career in such a, uh, a satisfying and, and very logical way is, is really, 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 uh, you know, it's just a good thing. Sean, we're tossing around a, a lot of terms here, composer, arranger, conductor, orchestrator. Can you just give us a high-level you know, definition of the responsibilities of what each of those terms are? Yeah, I mean, conductor is pretty, um, pretty self-explanatory, right, where it's the, the person in front of the orchestra kind of leading the performance and you know, starting and stopping pieces, uh, delivering their interpretation, um, you know, tempos, how fast or slow things go is kind of dictated by the conductor. And, you know, what if there's different, you know, sections of the orchestra that they want to bring out, like it's almost like a live mixer in certain standpoints because you can make adjustments. And, you know, if you want the horns to come out here and there. So there's a very and that's a very performing type element. Right. When you're a conductor, you're on the um, on the stage with uh, the rest of the orchestra or, or concert band or whatever ensemble you're with, choir. Um, and so there's a very tactile kind of connection to the music as a conductor. Um, for me as a composer, you know, that's more of an original creation type of activity. So you study, you know, for me, I have a composition degree from New England Conservatory in Boston and then an undergrad in, at Syracuse University with composition and music education. So I had a teaching degree as well. And I find like the amalgamation of those three degrees really helps me to function on the professional level in different capacities. So I, I do conduct as we had spoken, but, but I also compose original music and I'm uh, delighted to be uh, published by Excelsior Music, Carl Fisher Music and Hal Leonard Publishing. So I have uh, publishing uh, relationships with three of the major publishers in the, in the field. And, and so along those lines, when you talk about like as a composer, 
you're really, it's more referring to the original creation of, uh, of music versus taking someone else's music and adapting it. And that would kind of fall under the arranger category. So if you take, like, say, an existing song or maybe it's an existing symphony and you kind of arrange it or adapt it to a different version, maybe the length is different. You know, you cut out a chorus here or there and it, or it's for a different group. Like, like say, for exa example, if you take one of Al's songs that's written for him on, you know, singing, sometimes accordion, sometimes not. Depends on how he feels that day. And then he's got his great band behind him. <laughs> so when you take that music and then, you know, take Al and the band away from it, but keep the song itself and then say, maybe write it for a concert band or an orchestra without vocals. Well, that's technically arranging. You're taking the original version of something and adapting it to a different version, but it's still the same song or same music. Um, and then finally, there's the orchestrator uh, hat that um, many of us wear in the industry um, here in Los Angeles, where I'm based, and, and around the country, and around the world, of course. But uh, orchestration is really the, uh, the craft of, of adding instruments to an existing um, piece of music. So okay. say, for example, my, my, my relationship with Weird Al came from uh, the orchestrator standpoint, where he had his songs, you know, the length, the format of the songs, or what they were, you know, his band and he were singing on the and playing. So what I did is I added orchestral instruments to that texture to kind of, and I, I like to use the term reimagine his songs. And so I worked very closely uh, with Al in terms of, and he's so astute and so articulate with what he wanted to hear. Um, you know, we talked about some song, and I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but you know, just talking about what you want to hear, like, do you want a big brassy sound or do you want like a high string or a tension string or a lush strings or do you want, you know, woodwinds kind of sweetening that sound? I mean, all of that kind of falls into the orchestration bucket. Um, and it really kind of it, think of it as a painter, right, where you're painting with different colors. The colors just happen to be the instruments of the orchestra in this case. So an oboe is going to sound different from a flute or than a trumpet than a horn. And so you use those colors to kind of create a different texture of sound that the audience can enjoy. Um, and from my standpoint, I'm only trying to enhance the sound of these songs. I'm not trying to take away from what Al's vocals are, which are absolutely brilliant, by the way. Um, and, and, and his, I mean, he is, he is like a, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning lyricist by the way that he crafts these lyrics to existing songs, which is another added element of uh, difficulty. But um, but so, you know, just to kind of stay on, on task with the orchestrator thing, it really is like a painter with a palette and kind of painting colors that happen to be realized as as sounds and, and audible music um, along the way. So I hope that's not too of too much of an astute, um, you know, uh, uh, academic definition, but more of a this is what you're going to hear from each one of those definitions. No, thank you for that. I think I think you should, that was uh, that was exactly what I was looking for. That was a great way to to sum that up. Now, you of course uh, were the orchestrator for Weird Al. Yes, several of his songs that were performed at the Hollywood Bowl. How did you end up working with Weird Al? I have a uh, a really healthy and. Um, a very fortunate relationship with one of the uh, promoters or the, the talent bookers at the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, consequentially, the, LA, the Los Angeles Philharmonic, they're the parent company for the Hollywood Bowl and the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra. And so 
Um, I'm really fortunate to be one of uh, a few people here in the Los Angeles area um, who, who get to work on projects like this. And, and she said to me, she said, basically, you know, we have uh, Weird Al booked for a set with the orchestra um, and we'd love to have you, you know, arrange and, and orchestrate the songs uh, for the orchestra to play along. And the Hollywood Bowl has a long-standing history of taking, you know, popular bands, singer-songwriters, etc., and presenting them with orchestra. And they're kind of the leading um, artistic orchestra in that in that regard. So uh, sometimes it's with the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra, which is conducted by Thomas Wilkins, wonderful conductor. And then sometimes it's with the Los Angeles Philharmonic, which uh, Gustavo Dudamel is the music director. But he typically won't conduct the band with orchestra type presentations, but occasionally he does, and it's really fun to watch. Um, so between those uh, relationships that I've built over the uh, several years that I've been here in Los Angeles, that's how I, I came to be paired up with, with Al. And then from there, uh, we kind of emailed back and forth. And, and once Al had kind of sorted out what the set list was going to be and, and what songs he wanted to play with the orchestra, because there's also a couple songs there that he, I think he just did on his own without the orchestra performing with him, which is, you know, it's a nice variety for the overall concert itself for the audience. Um, but it ended up being, I'm, I'm trying to count here. I have the list in front of me. It was like almost like 12 or 13 songs that oh, wow. I ended up orchestrating for that program. Yeah. I, I, so I did the whole show at the Hollywood bowl. There was no other orchestrators on it. So it was, it was a busy three to four weeks for me. <laughs> I was, you know, I was, I was, I was cranking out like a song every day or two. Wow. Um, wow. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, it, it's, you know, you get into a mode, right? I mean, we all do what we do. So, you know, I've, I've worked hard, you know, people ask me, you know, how do you, you know, how do you, you know, start or what are you doing all that? I said, well, you're, you're looking at it from, you know, how did you do it today? You don't realize that I've been studying music since I was, you know, 10 years old and then went to you know music school right. and all that. So this, you know, what you're seeing me do at this point or at that point, um, back in 2016, when I worked on the show with him, you know, it was kind of the culmination of all of the skill and the craftsmanship that you gather over the years. So, um, you know, the process starts where Al gave me the songs and he gave me, um, sometimes it was recording, uh, studio recordings of the songs that he wanted to do. And other times it was live versions. Okay. Um, typically when I work with a band or an orchid or a singer songwriter, I'll ask for live recordings because I want to know the format, like formally how they're going to perform the song live. And so I don't want to, you know, work on something then all of a sudden when they go to play it live, it's different, you know, and then because it's, it's much easier to work out those kinks in the writing orchestration process than it is on stage with a hundred orchestra musicians <laughs> on, you know, waiting for you to kind of make changes along those lines. So, so there's a lot of back and forth between, um, in this particular show, Al worked with me directly. I didn't work with a music director or an intermediary. Um, I worked with Al directly, which was awesome. He had me over to his house and we kind of went through each wow. song and, and I, I'm look, I'm looking through the notes cause I brought my laptop and I'm like typing feverishly. I'm like, slow down now. It's like, we're, it's like we started, we started working on, uh, I think the first one we did was fat and he just starts going like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, slow, slow down. I got to write, write some notes. So I know what I'm doing when I get back home, um, you know, cause his mind works at a, just a different pace and level that 
than yours and I do. Um, but uh, no, it was just it was really cool to hear his take on what he thinks the uh, the orchestra should sound like behind his songs. You know, I mean, because at the end of the day, these are his you know signature you know songs and the way that he takes you know the real songs, you know like bad and turns it into fat, you know, or uh, royals and turns it into foil, you know, or, you know, born this way into perform this way, or, you know, smells like teen spirit into smells like Nirvana. You know, it's just, it's amazing to see the process that he goes through. Um, but for a lot of them, a lot of these bands and, and alike, they don't write anything down. So I only got recordings to work from. So my job now is to turn that into real, you know, sheet music that, the musicians on stage in the orchestra can read and play and be in sync with Al as they go to perform everything. So, um, so it's, you know, transcribing what I heard, you know, making up the chords and kind of, um, for me, the process starts with the baseline because the baseline, you know, you can sort out any song from the baseline okay. because the baseline is the foundation of the harmony. You, you can tell where you are in the song. Uh, you can tell where it lines up with the lyric if you kind of write out the baseline. Um, and then the second thing for me is the lyric with the, uh, the melody of the, uh, vocal. And so once you get those two elements in place, then the fun starts for me, you know, cause you have kind of the, the beginning, the middle and the end and the choruses, the verses and all that. And you know where they're, you know, where everything's going, like everything is laid out and it's like a skeleton. So now you get to fill in everything. Um, and for me, the process always starts with being incredibly respectful to the vocal because this is Weird Al's show, right? This, these are his songs. This is his lyrics. And so I don't want the orchestra to be too busy where it takes away from what the lyric is. And in some cases, man, he is singing fast, as you guys know. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of the rap uh, things right. that he does. I mean, you're holding on for dear life or, or even worse, the polka ones. You know, those are even faster sometimes. Yeah. So, so you want to be careful when you create orchestra music to support that, that it doesn't, you know, jump into it. It doesn't get in the way. And then all of a sudden there's this chaos that doesn't have clarity. And, and so, it, you know, we went back and forth. I would, I would send Al like a little synth demo. And then I asked him, you know, straight on, I said, would a PDF of the conductor score help you? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, I can read. I, he goes, I don't like to, but I, guess I can read music. So, um, so what ended up happening was because of that, we were able to really pinpoint areas of the original, you know, orchestration that I did that he liked to uh, adjust. So he would be like, hey, you know, you know, measure 25. Can we lose that one hit in the brass? It just seemed too much. And so there was this collaboration uh, back and forth where we felt like, you know, we did all the hard work of really ironing out what these songs should be realized as with the orchestra before the orchestra even got to the, to the stage. And which is typical, uh, you have to be so economic in your time during rehearsal because typically you'll only get one, two and a half hour rehearsal to put everything together. So, uh, which presents a lot of stress and challenges and, you know, and pressure to kind of perform. And so that's why the process that I like to use involves a lot of ironing out the details before we get to the rehearsal. And it, the case is in point two with the tour. I mean, literally like he would have multiple days in a row with in different cities. So you don't, you literally have like an afternoon rehearsal 
and then the show that night and you pack the whole thing up and, you know, truck off to the next place. Yeah. So you have to be very, you know, almost OCD for lack of a better word with, with how accurate these arrangements are and these orchestrations are so that it does line up with what Al's doing. He feels like it's taking the songs to a different place and it's something new. Um, and it's not just like a hackney, you know, almost like a puffy pillow behind the music. Like there's got to be some movement. And to me, there's got to be a, a, at least a little bit of dialogue. So like when the, when the vocal is singing like a very active line, I'll have uh, supporting in the orchestra, not a lot of movement. But then there's times where he'll either breathe from his phrase or there'll be like a little area in the music for an instrumental. And that's when the orchestra would swell for what I would write. Um, and it, it goes back to the relationship that Frank Sinatra had with Nelson Riddle. You know, all those, you know, Come Fly With Me, all those great songs from the Great American Songbook. If you go back and listen to them, first of all, Frank knew the arrangement almost better than Nelson Riddle, who wrote it, did. So he knew when to, to soar with the vocal and then when to pull back. And the same thing was true with the orchestra. When the vocal's pulling back, that's when the orchestra would soar and vice versa. And so I always kind of keep that in the back of my mind when I approach each of these orchestrations um, along the lines. Um, and, and also just from a sense of clarity. Like, you know, there's nothing worse than hearing too much going on at the same time. And then you don't know what the hell's going on, right? right. <laughs> but one thing I'm wondering about, it seems like a lot of the songs that you did orchestration for were actually parody songs. How do you approach that? Do you listen to the original song that's being parodied? Are there, you know, even potentially orchestrations for those songs already existing that you can reference? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Yoda one, uh, <laughs> Y-O-D-A Yoda. <laughs> I mean, and then also white and nerdy word crimes. You know, we we use some of those uh, like synth strings that were in the original uh, version. But Al, of course, used, you know, included them in his version as well. So we wanted to be, you know, really, um, really respectful of that, because in a lot of ways, you know, the, the white and nerdy, that 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 sound is going to be what you remember. Um, you know, so, or it makes that sound, that song, I should say, like the, the string lines. So mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure we included those just to kind of keep the authenticity of it and not seem like it was a complete, you know, redo or, or, you know, whatever it may be. So, um, so yeah, we did. I mean, I went back and, you know, of course, listening to fat, and, you know, I grew up with, you know, in, in the eighties listening to, or watching MTV and all that. So, you know, you couldn't go five minutes without seeing a Michael Jackson video and, yeah. you know, hearing that bad, you know, <laughs> yeah. bad and all that was just, just awesome, you know, so. I'm curious, Sean, when you're uh, orchestrating for a show, and I don't know if we touched on this yet, but you were not actually the conductor at the Hollywood Bowl shows. That was Thomas Wilkins. It was Thomas Wilkins, yeah. yeah. You did all the orchestration for that. When you're writing orchestration for a show that you know you're not going to be conducting, is there any difference in the way you approach writing the orchestration, knowing it's for somebody else rather than yourself to conduct? Not a whole lot. The, the one thing that helps any conductor is is to have really well organized music. So, you know, we read music just like we read a book left to right. So, you know, in music we have phrases, right? So starts of verses, starts of, of choruses or the bridge or whatever, you know, the, the song form may be. And for me, it's organizing the conductor score in a way that's super clear when each of those sections begin. 
So whether it be putting a, a word cue at the top of the music that says verse one, um, also including uh, the lyrics themselves in the melody line on the score can be really helpful because sometimes these things, you know, and it's just any song, right? Any popular song is, is, has an element of repetitiveness to it, right? So if you have, you know, three, four verses, sometimes they can sound the same. And without the lyric there to kind of designate what verse you're on, sometimes, you know, you can get a little lost in the process when they kind of roll around on, you know, on themselves. So, so the more clarity that you can provide uh, in the conductor score and also in the parts for the musicians, which I end up, um, I create most of the parts for all the arrangements that I do. And um, I, I, it's one of the first things I did when I moved to Los Angeles. I worked for a music um, preparation house here that worked on movies and, and TV shows and the like. So, so I was used to creating parts that um, LA studio musicians would read and perform from. So I take that same knowledge and I apply it to these live performances because like I alluded to earlier, the rehearsal time is minimal for these performances that you see with orchestras. So the more clarity and um, economics of, uh, of sound that you can use, the better chance you have to put it together in the shortest amount of time. So, cause all these, you know, all these orchestras that Al performed with along the, uh, along the tour were either, you know, sitting orchestras like the national symphony. I know he, he did at, um, Wolf Trap. Yep. Um, and the only reason I knew that, I, the only reason I knew that is, is I came through there, uh, as conducting for Sarah McLaughlin with orchestra, like two weeks after Al was there. Oh, wow. And so they were asking me all sorts of, <laughs> yeah, they're asking me all sorts of questions. And I guess Al got a little loud on stage for that performance. Um, it kind of ruffled some feathers, which, which is understandable. The orchestra musicians are very protective of their ears when it gets too loud. You know, their orchestras aren't used to performing with mics, right? So you have to be considerate to that. And, you know, their ears are part of their living. So um, it, it, it was funny when I got asked about Sarah McLaughlin, I said, you know, it's Sarah McLaughlin, right? Um, I don't think we're going to worry about, you know, being too loud. She was, she's just the <laughs> most beautiful siren of a voice and an even better person than, than a singer, which is amazing. But, um, yeah, so, you know, so along those lines, you know, having music that's well organized for Al that they can plug and play with each orchestra, no matter where they are, is is super important and and almost you know integral to the success of the tour. Now, did you work with anyone in addition to Al on these orchestrations, like members of his band? I did not. Um, Al was the one that was kind of driving the bus with me, um, and so you know, and not unfortunately not being able to go to the performance at the Hollywood Bowl or, or being able to go to any of the tour dates um, really bummed me out. I, I had some conflicts in my scheduling that didn't allow me to be there, but, um, but I know his band is incredible. And just from listening to the recordings, you know, it's, it's amazing how many different styles are required of them to perform in one show. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like you, you, you play, you know, you're in Sting's band where, you know, it's going to be like, you know, medium tempo kind of really, you know, one style or, uh, you know, it, or if you're in Metallica, where you know it's going to be one style. I mean, they play one style, right? I mean, Al's right. songs just run the gamut, right? <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden, he busts out the accordion, and we're full polka mode. You know, look out below. Um, you, you know, and then all of a sudden, there's a Nirvana song in there, and there's a Lady Gaga song, and then there's, you know, Michael Jackson, and, you know, there's even, um, 
you know, a feral song with tacky, right. you know, I mean, just, just so many different hats they have to wear, um, you know, to kind of, to, you know, be able to function as a chameleon almost and be able to play each one of those styles at the highest level, which they do. Amazing. Um, it, the guys around that I, you know, were in the band that I was there was Jim West. He played guitar, Steve J played bass. Uh, John Bermuda Schwartz was drums and Ruben uh, Valtiera was on keyboards, kind of backing up what Al would do. Um, and then my favorite moments is when Al just picked up that accordion and you could not stop him. You know, you'd have to call the police to get him off stage once he gets going. But pretty amazing. Did you end up working on any songs that didn't end up getting used? Uh, there was only, I'm trying to look through here. There was like one version of cell phones that we that we started to work on and then Al kind of did like a little bit of a left turn and decided not to use that and we, we did uh, a, a different thing so it, it's very rare and I and maybe this is me being selfish but I, I like to get songs and set lists that are locked in before I start working because typically I'll only have maybe five to six weeks before a show to work on everything okay. so time is really of the essence. And so, you know, to try something out (laughs) and see how it is, I I don't really like doing that if I don't have to. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, for the, for for the most part, the songs at the Hollywood bowl show were all the ones that he had locked in. And, you know, there's different people that with the man, with the orchestra that you have to go through and production and, and all that. Um, and actually the production value at the bowl show was amazing with all the video and the, costume changes and you know you name it Al like pulled all the stops out for that show which was which was amazing um and my wife and uh two daughters were able to go and uh and so she facetimed me i forget where i was i was on tour somewhere and and so she facetimed me one of the songs and i was on a tour bus with some of the band that i was performing with and and they were getting a kick out of it oh cool al was so gracious he (laughs) He he had my my two daughters backstage with my wife, of course, and and he spent a little time with them after the show. And and at the Hollywood Bowl show, they were selling at the concession stand like little hats that um, recreated Al's signature hair. <laughs> so I have a great photo of my and, my and my daughters. I think were eight and five at the time, and there's a great photo of the two of them with Al, and they all have this crazy hair, <laughs> and it's just. One, one that I really cherish and it, it felt like I was there, you know, even though I wasn't. Wow. But, uh, and he was so just so gracious. He was like, yeah, anytime you guys want to come backstage, you're always welcome. And it was really fun to, you know, to just see, cause I, I've had nothing but um, amazing interactions with Al. So it, it was great to see that extended to the, to my family um, at that performance. So it was that the first time your wife and, and daughters got to see Al. Yeah, it was. And I had to, you know, explain what was happening Um, because, you know, if you don't know going in, it could be a little jarring. However, you know, they knew some of the they knew some of the original songs, right? The original versions of the songs. So, you know, especially Tacky, which is the feral song, uh, Happy. Um, So they they could gravitate towards some of those songs that they knew perform this way, which is based on Lady Gaga's born this way. So there was a couple, you know, usual suspects that they recognized. So it wasn't going in completely blind. And, and of course the, the pomp and circumstance that Al brings to his shows it really just, you know, it's so infectious, the energy that he has on stage and, 
his performances. So it was not a hard sell for the girls to enjoy that performance yeah. as <laughs> most of the most of the audience was. Yeah. I'm, I'm certain. Yeah. And your wife and daughter are still fans today. I hope. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. They, it, and it's so funny. I hadn't thought about Al in, in a little while. And, you know, it's, it's always interesting when, you know, people interview you about a show that happened five years ago, but, um, <laughs> But I, you know, I hadn't thought about it, and you guys reached out to me to see if I'd be interested in, in recording this I, this podcast, which, of course, I jumped on in a heartbeat. It's so fun to talk about Weird Al and his music, <laughs> and um, and it was it was odd. We were watching the Kevin Hart Netflix special on Black History, and Al is in that at yeah. the end. Yeah. He's the dad to the to the to the kid, right? <laughs> and I'm like, life is so funny, you know. You know, I hadn't thought about Al and his music for a little while, and then all of a sudden, in like the same day, you guys emailed me, and uh, and he's on the Netflix special that my kids picked out of random on Netflix, you know. So <laughs> shameless promo for Netflix, but oh well, there we are. Now, were there any Weird Al songs that you really wish you could have gotten to orchestrate? Oh, you know, not not really. I mean, he picks such a great kind of cross section of of songs from his catalog that really, you know, kind of started from the beginning and then, you know, all the way through. I mean, I remember growing up going to see UHF in in the uh, in the theaters. Yeah. Um, I may have I may have been one of three in the theater, but uh, <laughs> but I just I I kid because I care. But no, I, I just remember like that was my first introduction to Al and his music, and you know there's a certain part of me that wanted to see like maybe some songs from that or or you know right UHF or whatever it may be. But um, but but no, I mean it, it, like I said the 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 variety of styles that were required of me. Um, because of the song choices was really was really engaging for me as a musician you know you know I'm you don't wake up each day and say oh what polka am I going to write today that just doesn't really (laughs) roll off the tongue right so so it's 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 just fun to like be asked to wear those different hats you know Um, and I'm trying to remember the one I think the saga begins that's the one with um, it's based on uh American Pie, right? If I'm yep. trying to remember correctly, long, long time ago, yeah, yep, yes. It goes through the whole Star Wars thing, and and you know, being a Star Wars nerd myself, you know, that was really fun to do. <laughs> um, was to, you know, my my, this Anakin guy, <laughs> you know, just the way that he created that brought me back to my, you know, my five or six year old self when I saw the original movie in the theater, you know, yeah. so it's, it's funny because music is a lot like a scent, right? Like you smell something, it, it transports you back to that time period, you first smell it. And music's very much the same way you hear, you know, a piece mm-hmm. of music that you remember from uh, a certain time period. And it, it's just got this transportational feel to it. Like all of a sudden you wake, you blink your eye and you're like in a different place, you know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, it was fun in those lines. So I, I, I didn't feel like I was missing something with the song in the set list. Yeah. Um, you know, to answer, to roundabout answer your question. Now, obviously, you know, we, we you just mentioned Saga Begins, and, and that's based on American Pie. But, you know, you're orchestrating that song not for American Pie, but for the Saga Begins. Are there, you know, ways to put a nod to the lyrics and, you know, maybe, you know, put in a Star Wars 
musical reference or is it was there any uh, way to put in easter eggs like that when you're working on these well that <laughs> that runs into a little trickiness because there's copyrights and you know you know john williams music is very much protected along those lines so if i did something like that it was very like super alluding it it wasn't you know like outwardly da 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 right, you know, right. i didn't <laughs> put any of that in there because you know it, it it creates havoc not only for you know for al and, and his team but also the orchestra of like all of a sudden they're shuffling of like oh boy um so you know but you occasionally you can put you know little little nods like da, 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 you know just little nuggets like that yeah you don't have to be so overt about it um right. but can really you know complement it and kind of set the set the stage for the audience, you know, with this, um, with this type of, uh, subject matter. Right. I mean, it's hard not to think about the star Wars stuff. Yeah. Um, when he's singing about the saga begins, so, or the star Wars music, I should say. Now, as you're writing the orchestrations for all these pieces and you're listening to, you know, the songs that Weird Al sent you and the live versions, and was there anything in there that caught you by surprise as far as maybe what Al did with his lyrics or musically as you were listening to all these songs? What what struck me initially, and it kind of permeated through most of the songs, was um, Al's craft at coming up with lyrics that rhyme within the constraints of the song that he was parodying. Does that make sense? And, and the way that the lyric had a, a storytelling quality that was essentially its own, um, its own song, even though it was based on another song. And just each one was like, and I, and I had a colleague of mine uh, help me to kind of, because it was such a, a massive amount of material to kind of, you know, uh, transcribe and kind of get ready. So I had a, a friend of mine help me transcribe a few of these songs and and that was his first comment was like my god these lyrics are amazing (laughs) he says he's literally you know i mean and and that's why i brought up the pulitzer earlier It, it was like a lot of this could stand alone you know you take it out of the context of the song out of the parody and just look at the lyric itself and you know Yes, they're supposed to have a, a fun, funny element to it and a, a tongue-in-cheek element to it. But but some of it, like Fat, I know was very personal for him, the lyrics for that, um, because he struggled with weight uh, early on in his, uh, in his youth. And so this was just a way of kind of almost a cathartic expression of getting that angst that he had from it. Um, but it was in his own way, right? So it was in a way that, felt like a parody, but in some way it was very cathartic for him, hmm. you know, to, to kind of work through, I'm fat, I'm fat, you know it, you know, I mean, I mean, it's so <laughs> openly, you know, like that, but the way he did it, you know, you could almost feel like he was getting energy out of it. You know, there was like built up tension from his past that was getting out of it. And, and again, you look at the lyrics on their own and, and it's, I, I don't know, it just, it, it transcended more than what the song was is, is what I'm trying to say. So mm. that's what I took away from it. So the Hollywood bowl shows uh, were in 2016 and then it was 2019 when Al did the strings attached to her. Did you have to do any adjustments to the music or did he just really use the exact same uh, sheets you made? Well, I, I did have to adjust certain things because first of all, the, 
the shows at the Hollywood Bowl enjoy a a very large orchestra size. Uh, the stage is big. There's a lot, you know, it's 18, almost 18,000 people that can fit in there. So the resources are of such as that we can have a fairly large orchestra. Um, it was hovering around a hundred players on stage. Oh, wow. And for the, for the tour, I believe, and I was working with Arnie on this, I believe they had budgeted like 40. So I basically had to adjust things that worked for a hundred players down to 40. And mm -hmm. it, it sounds daunting when you do the, the straight up math, but the reality was most of the player reduction came from the string size, uh, the amount of string players. And so uh, a, a fair amount of that difference, the 60 player difference came from the string players. Hmm. Uh, and because of mics and mixing and, and all the, the great sound guys that are on Al's team, you know, they can make that sound bigger with a smaller amount of people. And the other thing, too, is because each stop on the tour, each city was hiring local players to be in the orchestra there. You know, it was easier to put together a full show with less people. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, to have a hundred piece orchestra was really a, a hard thing to kind of work logistically to make it happen in a day because like we had talked about before the rehearsal would happen in the afternoon and then the performance that night and pack it up and move on so uh economy of not only economics because <laughs> it costs less to have 40 people but also to be able to move and be more nimble with that that size of an orchestra uh, so what i had to do was take uh these large orchestrations from the hollywood bowl shows and i worked with arnie and he gave me the number of players and the instrumentation that we were going to have. So um, I was happy to kind of rework some of it. He did some of it as well. Um, and so between, you know, that and a few well-placed Dropbox links, um, <laughs> we, uh, we were able to make it all come together. <laughs> and, and it's so funny, guys, because, you know, when I first kind of got into the industry 20-some-odd years ago, you know, the, the thought of Dropbox or PDFs and, you know, emailing files like this was really at, at its infancy. And so to think of like, how would we like literally execute this plan to take all of this music that was, you know, in my hard drive and in Arnie's hard drive and Scott O'Neill in Colorado is right. like, how do you put this all together, you know, and, and, and not like literally hire your own postal team to, to make it happen. So <laughs> But, you know, to the credit of Arnie and his team and, you know, we all worked on this to really get the best product and to adapt everything so that we kept, you know, kept all the good stuff. Right. And the stuff we had to cut out from the orchestra orchestrations um, wasn't significant enough that would alter the sound of that particular song uh, and the way Al performs it. So I, I and you guys saw the tour. I, I know it was very successful, but um it was it was really an honor to be uh, kind of a behind the scenes uh, part of that um, of that process. So, and I, I it, you know along the way you know I've you go to music school and then we all scatter after music after we graduate. <laughs> and so I have friends in different orchestras around the country and and they would either on you know on social media or they would send me texts of they would take photos of their parts that would have my name on it and they hey look showed up in my folder today. 
Uh, so it was <laughs> it was fun to kind of see the tour from that. Yeah. <laughs> from those updates, like, all right, all right, what friend of mine is on this gig in Milwaukee <laughs> or on this gig in Chicago or wherever wherever they are this, this week? So uh, it was it was cool, and it was a pretty ambitious tour schedule for Al. Yeah. Um, I, how many date How many dates did it end up being? I know you guys went to you said like eighteen of them, right? Yeah, it was a very long tour. It was about about three months long, I, I believe. Uh, and it was pretty much, they didn't have too many off days. So it was pretty much straight through, maybe one off day a yeah. week. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a lot <laughs> from, <laughs> from being, from being on tours in the past. Um, it's, it's pretty challenging. It sounds very sexy and romantic when you're, you know, Ooh, go to tour bus and all that, but <laughs> man, it's not sexy at four thirty in the morning when you pull into a hotel and they're like, get out, the bus has got to go get gas, you know? So, <laughs> Now, Sean, were there any talks of you doing more orchestrating or even any conducting for the Strings Attached tour? Uh, there was a little bit, but the opportunity really wasn't there. Arnie had it covered from the start. Um, and the only additional writing that I did was uh, basically adapting what I had already done. Um, Al had a few other songs, I guess, uh, in the works, but uh, my schedule was not at the place where I could jump into that anyway. Okay. So um, I, I wasn't necessarily sad about it um, just because I knew I didn't, even if it was offered to me, I didn't, I didn't have the uh, wherewithal and the uh, resources to be able to jump in on it. So, and that happens occasionally, um, fortunately, very occasionally. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, you know, usually, usually when you're a musician and you're a professional, the word, the answer is yes. And then you figure out how to do it later. <laughs> um, um, so, my, my one of my composition teachers uh, back in grad school would say, uh, you know, you sleep when you're dead. Uh, you know, you do the if a gig comes your way, you know, you do the gig and then figure it out later. But <laughs> now, for a lot of the songs on the Strings Attached tour that you hadn't already written the orchestrations for, the uh, orchestrator for those was Scott O'Neill. Did you work at all with Scott on any of those orchestrations, or did he bounce any ideas off of you? I did not. Uh, Scott kind of worked in his own bubble on, on those particular songs. And, and I know Scott from his conducting prowess uh, with the Colorado Symphony. Um, he and I originally were introduced for a show with Sarah McLaughlin. Um, I had written all the orchestrations for Sarah, or most of them. Vince Mendoza did a few of them. Um, another great arranger, Grammy-winning, a writer and everything. Vince is, is awesome. He's still a hero of mine. And and so the the first performance of all these was at uh, Red Rocks and, and Scott conducted that. So I got a chance to get to know Scott from that experience. Um, cool. and, you know, great musician, very talented. And, and so when I heard he was involved in the project, you know, you just don't worry and, and certainly love having my name, you know, the apostrophes have to stick together. Apparently. <laughs> um, so with, with, so with O'Neill and O'Loughlin, there's no way you can, no way you can be wrong. So, <laughs> So, Sean, there's a long list of of pop and rock artists that you've worked with, and I would like to ask you about a few of those in a little bit. But sure. um, just overall, where does working with Weird Al fit into that list as far as, you know, challenging? Uh, is he challenging to write orchestrations for compared to, let's say, you know, writing orchestrations for Steven Tyler or anybody else you've worked with? The, the inherent challenge kind of, uh, I, I mentioned earlier was just the different styles that I had to, to jump into, right. um, between rap and, and pop and polka and 
everything in between and, and to kind of make it sound right. Um, you know, but, but then also, you know, there's a certain element of my voice in this too, you know, the way I like to write the, the kind of things that I enjoy including in orchestrations. Um, but at, Al, Al was certainly with ease of use in terms of collaborating. He was right there at the top. I mean, just so available. Like I would email him something. He would get back to me within the hour, if not sooner. Wow. You know, so I felt I didn't feel like on, on an island with him. Um, there was nobody in between. There was no, you know, uh, like I said earlier, there was no music director or, you know, someone else in the band that would I would have to go through. And then what that does is it just creates more time. It's a lag between, right. you know, getting your question asked and getting your question answered. And and for me, the legitimacy of having, you know, the, the artist himself kind of heavily involved in this. And, and I'm just... I pulled up on my computer here some of my notes that I took from our, our meeting at his house and and then subsequent questions that I would have along the way once I like actually got writing into each song um, and he was just so you know first of all welcoming to my ideas of the orchestration and kind of making it into something bigger right because that was always his intent you know he could play a, a show with his band any day of the week but to play a show with a orchestra especially to start the whole thing off with the hollywood bowl orchestra at the hollywood bowl <laughs> that's something completely different right so he really wanted it right and he wanted it you know um, he wanted it to be the best it can be so his and i uh collaboration on a one-on-one -on -one level was just very satisfying both artistically and and you know as a, a colleague you know and i'm on his christmas card list so i must have made a certain impression um <laughs> with him so we all we always like to see what what crazy uh photos he, he sends out for his christmas card but um, very nice yeah you know it, it and for me you know each of the artists that i've had the pleasure and, and for good fortune to work with each have their own like real kind of cool unique things um you know steven tyler was one and i got to talk to him on the phone a couple of times and then i got to meet him uh a little bit before uh, the shows at the Hollywood Bowl, and, and he was quite a character. And, you know, he, and for, rightfully so, like he pervades this like uber rock star persona, right? I mean, he looks the part, <laughs> yeah. he kind of, sure, yeah. you know, his performance on stage and everything. What, what struck me, not unlike Al, but what struck me was how like articulate musically and, you know, from a, like a training standpoint that they were. Like they could articulate what a melody was and what, you know, different orchestrations they wanted to hear. Um, you know, Steven Tyler was great. Ah, man, I really hear the strings here. Like he sounds like that on the phone. I'm like, it's like, it's like, I feel like I'm in third grade getting yelled at by uh, Mrs. Laurenti again. But um, no, it, it was, it was, uh, it's just cool to see that side of the artist that, you know, most of the general public doesn't get to see. Um, and that I, I'm fortunate to see that part of them. Um, mm. And, you know, what struck me not only about, you know, Steven Tyler and some of the other, you know, I'm fortunate to work with like Sarah McLaughlin. I got to work with her one on one in the same collaborative way um, as with Steven and, and Weird Al. And, you know, you really get to see what makes them so good. Like, it's not just the, the shiny stuff on the outside. It's man, the substance of their songs, whether it be the lyrics or the melody or the harmony, um, you know, I'll, like some of these songs, you're like, oh, that's why they're good. You know what I mean? When you start peeling off the layers of the onion, 
you know, like, oh, that's why that's good. Or if it's one lyric that keeps coming back or, or whatever it may be. Um, that was the real joy for me of like, you know, kind of seeing a different side of these artists that, that, that you normally wouldn't get to see unless, you know, I'm orchestrating their music for them. So, you know, I try not to make eye contact too much, guys. Just, <laughs> just take it when it comes. Now, Sean, with, with the pandemic, obviously it's kind of tough to be putting on symphony shows. Uh, but, you know, you figured out kind of an interesting way with the Victoria Symphony and Symphoria. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's uh, it's two slightly different approaches, but one similar medium, and that being a streaming uh, access to performances. So, you know, New York State has a certain amount of uh, health restrictions on people on stage, etc. So, um, and then I've been, because of some travel restrictions as well and quarantine um, requirements. I haven't been able to get to all of my pop shows that we've been presenting. So I've had to do some video hosting from my house here and then wow. we kind of drop it into the live stream. So with Symphoria in Syracuse, uh, they are presenting virtual concerts and we basically kept the same amount of weeks that we were going to present in a live, you know, in concert hall, uh, setting, but we've been really fortunate. One of our patrons in the Syracuse area has a performance venue and space that we've been able to um, utilize and present our concerts from. So wow. some concerts with larger orchestras have, you know, some plexiglass and, you know, the string players with masks. So we, we are adhering to all the, you know, social distancing and health you know, requirements to kind of make it happen. Um, and then it's presented we're basically selling virtual tickets. So it's like a, a, a ticket that you would buy for a performance or you can do a subscription, et cetera. Um, and shameless plug, uh, experience symphoria.org is where all those performances are located. And, um, and it's presented through, uh, Vimeo, the uh, streaming service, which is a higher quality, uh, audio and video service yeah. um, than some of the other streaming options. Um, and so it's, uh, it's a great way for, you know, the musicians of the orchestra, um, to keep in touch with our audience, even though we're not able to be together. Um, so we're, we're doing that in Victoria with the symphony up there. I physically can't get up there because of the borders closed. So, uh, and even if I got up there, I would have to quarantine for something like 14 or 17 days. Wow. It's, it's yeah. pretty aggressive. Uh, and you totally get it, right? I mean, you can't, it's nobody's fault. It's just, we're trying to get a, a noose on this damn virus to try and right. you know get us all back to normal right. and get us on stage, which is what we're wired to do. We're not wired to be on someone's laptop. We're wired to be in front of you, you know, on stage performing live. Mm-hmm. So, um, but Victoria has been very, uh, very fortunate to have some uh, great underwriting. And so we're presenting uh, live, not live stream, but uh, stream concerts that are available for a month at a time. And so I did a Christmas pops program with them where we had the brass players and the percussionists at a beautiful church um, in downtown Victoria that we were able to uh, record in. And then I'm presenting another pops concert in the spring that'll be a tribute to Broadway that'll be available on victoriasymphony.ca. And we're asking our patrons, you know, in lieu of purchasing tickets for those performances to consider donating. And, you know, the more that we can kind of create this lifeboat, which is... Uh, the virtual performances right now, the more, uh, and I know everyone's doing it. You see Melissa Etheridge, you see, I mean, Al's got some performances. Um, Josh Groban is another uh, artist that I've worked with extensively. 
he had he's presenting virtual concerts as well and and it is that it's a it's a literal lifeboat to keep the performing arts alive yeah. and you know any help that your listeners can do along those lines will just help us create music and keep those concerts coming so that when we're when we're you know all ready to go back to being uh you know it I don't know if it'll be normal, but it'll be right. at least in the same building together. Um, then, I mean, it's going to be like, you know, the heavens opening up, I think. Uh, <laughs> people are just so starving for it right now. Yeah. So, um, so, th- so that's what we're doing, you know? Yeah. And it, it really is important to preserve the arts for when we can enjoy them in person again. Sean, this has just been really, really an awesome time chatting with you, hearing about your career and the process and and working with Al. For more information about you and your your career and and eventually your uh, actual live shows, we can head over to your website. It's (laughs) seanolachlan.com. And you also mentioned people can head over to the Victoria Symphony and Symphoria to check out those awesome online presentations. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, guys, what a thrill. I I feel like we're... uh... Uh, we're one happy hour away from a, another happy hour, so it's uh, very fun indeed. Yes, thank you so much, and uh, hopefully at some point we can finally see you in person conducting a, a real live show, and I think that would be really fun. Your words in God's ears, my, my friend. <laughs> Well, huge thank you to Sean O'Loughlin for joining us on the podcast. Dave, we can officially finish our punch card of Weird Al Strings Attached Tour Orchestrators. Two out of two punches. All right, that's awesome. All right, so let's see. We've got three out of the three backup singers. And so let's see. We just need another 2,624 orchestra members, and I think we'll have a full card. Yeah! Now, Ethan and I were... Both a bit surprised to hear Sean's story about Al's explanation for the origin of fat. Well, so we reached out to Bermuda to see if he had ever heard that story, and he wasn't familiar with it either. Well, whatever becomes of it, I think we can all safely agree that it is entirely our intern Frank's fault. Absolutely. This week's episode is brought to you in part by David Grant, promoting David Grant at WolfandWool.com. Not only is David Grant, uh, David Grant, he's also MC Chalkskin. We've heard a lot about MC Chalkskin's debut, Fresh Donuts, but did you know there are a total of three MC Chalkskin albums? Three MC Chalkskin albums, you say? Oh boy, I feel like I need to tell my friend Sheepdog all about this wonderful revelation. Well, while you're doing that, Dave, let me tantalize your eardrums with the names of these other two albums. Okay, but please go slow. I'm texting Sheepdog, and you know I'm a really slow typer. Okay, so the follow-up to Fresh Donuts is Payday. Oh, like the candy bar. Uh, yeah, actually. So, MC Chalkian, he really likes his sweets, huh? I suppose so. And what's the third album called? Apple Pie Squared? Actually, it's just called The Whitey Album. As in Tidy Whitey's? Uh, I'm not sure that's what he's going for, but yeah. Well, maybe he knows something that we don't. So visit wolfinwool.com on your next music expedition. And after you visit wolfinwool.com, be sure to visit http colon slash slash www.wolfinwool.com. This week's episode is also brought to you in part by Discover Darwin, promoting tourism in Darwin, Minnesota. Not only is historic Darwin, Minnesota, uh, beautiful, it's also banking. 
Welcome back to our series of Discover Darwin ads about banking. Really? We're doing this three weeks in a row? Yep, three weeks in a row. There's just so much to cover with Perennial Bank. You could even say this ad is becoming a regular thing. Wouldn't our time be better spent talking about the upcoming Free Park Day on Saturday, June 12th? In 1914, 12 local businessmen bought shares of bank stock and raised enough money to start Farmer's State Bank. All 75 Minnesota state parks and state recreation areas will be offering free admission. J.E. Nelson became the first president of the bank, but then sold control of the bank to the Ilstrup family in the 1950s. The entrance fee waiver does not cover amenity or user fees like camping, rentals, or special tours. In that same year, Neil and Betty Johnson moved to Darwin and were employed by the bank. Now there's a state park within 30 miles of most Minnesotans. The Johnson family purchased the bank in 1970. If you're a Minnesota resident, you can fish in many state parks without a fishing license. Following the death of his father in 1992, Mark Johnson became president of Farmer State Bank. So visit Darwin, Minnesota on your next expedition. Discover Darwin more than just a twine ball. And after you visit Darwin, Minnesota, be sure to visit discoverdarwin.biz. Each week, we're able to bring you our podcast absolutely free thanks to our amazing sponsors, Burrito Burrito, Discover Darwin, Jackson Scoggins, and David Grant. And thanks to all of our amazing close personal friend Patreon supporters, Jared, Jake, Javier, UH Jeff, Zeb, Allison, Blair, Frank from the Bank, and Kenneth. And thanks to William and everyone else in our pretty stinking majestic Patreon family. If you enjoy our family-friendly weekly Weird Al podcast, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash 2000inch or by picking up some pretty stinking majestic official Dave and Ethan's 2000inch Weird Al podcast merchandise such as socks towels more socks leggings face masks or even socks at shop.2000inch.com hmm, i wonder if we have any ties remember right now patreon supporters can check out the black and white and weird all over bonus episode one centimeter and bonus episode two centimeter the first two episodes in our special book series where we sit down with author John Bermuda Schwartz and go page by page, picture by picture, centimeter by centimeter through his book, Black and White and Weird All Over. Patreon supporters get to hear all of our bonus episodes early. Everyone else, stay tuned or, you know, join our Patreon family. We love hearing from our listeners and other Weird Al fans. Join our Facebook community and post about Weird Al by visiting group.2000inch.com. And we also love it when we receive voicemail via our official 27-hour-a-day podcast hotline, 347-SPATULA. You might even hear your message on the show. For everything about our podcast, including incredible past episodes and past guests, be sure to visit weirdalpodcast.com or 2000inch.com. And keep up on new episodes, podcast news, and events by following at 2000inch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thank you for subscribing and leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addicts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice. Thank you once again to our guest, Sean O'Loughlin, and thank you to John Bermuda Schwartz. Thank you to the Grammy Award-winning Jim Kim OS for our incredible theme song, and thank you to Weird Al Yankovic, as this podcast probably would not exist without him. 
and a big thank you to all of you, our listeners, subscribers, Patreon supporters, and sponsors, and everyone else who makes our podcast possible. Thank you for listening to Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al podcast, and always remember to gill and chill. So, are we going to celebrate the two-year anniversary of each and every show we saw on the strings attached to her? I don't see why not. Okay, great. We're on the same page. That was Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al podcast, episode 110-inch. Orchestrated by the Grammy Award-winning Jim Kimo West. And he just starts going like, Y-O-D-A-Yoda. Yeah.